All right. Good morning, everybody. Okay. Um, six word of the seven words, and we have one extra week before Holy Week. So, if you're wondering, we will meet again next week, of course, for the final word, and then we will meet again after that. So, just FYI. What's that? Well, there is a conclusion, which I think is like a paragraph, but we'll, uh, we'll have you do a little extra things that week. Okay. Um, I think uh, Emily, uh, Emily's here this morning. She's uh, no school today. Congratulations, Emily. Oh, it's my favorite day. It's the best kind of school day. Yes. Um, okay. The uh, so she handed out. Hopefully, she handed out the the uh, little discussion guide. I think uh, we don't have to go into particular order. So, with that said, does it over this last week in reading the chapter? Did anything stick out to you um, that you'd like to make note of? If not, Pastor Nelson can dive right in. So. Or any questions about the week reading? From our, uh, well, I mean, from famous painters? No. I mean, why are we choosing these pictures? Uh, just because we like them. Oh, uh, most of these are free images off of Google. Yeah. The, um, but I mean, we, so each, each one of us, Pastor Bukes or myself, Say, what painting of the crucifixion do I want to include this week? And then go find it. Well, yeah. Now, this one is uh, Salvador Dali. And that's uh, it's, uh, the painting, I think, is called St. John of the Cross. I can't remember why it's called that. Well, I mean, it, there's a guy who's... Kind of hit. I mean, that's not his name, but everyone knows him as Saint John of the Cross. Uh, I, I the reason why well, the reason why I picked this painting is because it's a crucifixion painting, of course, right? But at the same time, he it is over, you know. Uh, well, it's kind of a over a world or a landscape picture. So it's over the world. So the crucifixion has global or universal kind of authority, which goes along with the reading from this last week when the author says, um, when Jesus dies, it changes everything. Right? It, it changes everything. Uh, the, in, in the illumination of the ancients. So, um, now, of course, in that scene, though, what kind of landscape scene is it? Well, it's, well, I wouldn't get so specific, but it's definitely a uh, seascape. So it has a baptismal reference. So it has a... Uh, could be. So... It is, uh, it's, yeah, it's got a whole bunch of things going on there. Also, too, the crucifixion is in darkness, but yet the body is lit, so it is a, it's a source of light. So there's a lot of great things in there. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yeah, so he's not looking up. He's looking down. At the same time, though, when Jesus... So this goes to the, the lesson itself. When Jesus says it is finished, what is the it? Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, you can, you can pick a bunch of them. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus says in... Well, I think I wrote it down. Yeah, so in John chapter 12... Um, 
some Greeks are looking for Jesus. Andrew and Philip go find Jesus and say, hey, these guys are looking for you. And Jesus says, now is the time, now is the hour for me to be glorified. So the it uh, for sure is the glorification of Jesus. So Jesus' glory is actually when he dies. The glory of God is in Jesus, is crucifixion. So you have in the painting now, you have Jesus's, God's glory is being manifested, not to God, the Father, but towards, towards the earth, towards people. So all people can now see the glory of God in the crucifixion, which in John chapter two, or 12, verse 32-ish, 35 or 32. When I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. Now that image of all men being drawn to the cross, Jesus is actually playing on a variety of Old Testament images. Uh, a lot in um, Isaiah, but in a variety of other Old Testament prophets where the day of the Lord will come and people from all nations will flock to him. So the glory of God is shown in the crucifixion and people are drawn towards him or, or, or you know, see him. So in that image of the painting, obviously, it's a pretty, it would be hard to miss in the sky if I was those fishermen, right? I mean, it's, it's lifted up and now, you know, will they draw towards Christ? Um, I think in... In, so in John 17, verse 5, good, wrote that down. Jesus is saying, it's called the high priestly prayer. It's a beautiful prayer, 17 and 18. And Jesus says, uh, Father, glorify me now with the glory I had from before. Um, I should probably actually read that. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So what does that glory look like? And according to the Gospel of John, it looks like Jesus on the cross, which I think a lot of us see Jesus in his glory as being some sort of, you know, this supernatural kind of otherworldly being. But in in John, though, when he enters into the Father's glory... It's the, it's the crucifixion. It's him dying on the cross. So that's why in the, in the painting, it has this heavenly kind of perspective, right? I mean, Jesus is this huge thing, and, but yet he's crucified. He's not, you know, the, kind of the old picture of Jesus in a white robe. And Actually, I don't know, did I show that to you from uh, King of Kings, 1927? The movie, the black and white movie that Pastor Buke so affectionately loves when he plays it fast forward. Um, (laughs) At the end of that movie, when Jesus rises from the dead, there's this great image of him. um, I think children are kind of coming to him, and it's kind of this very kind of kitsch, I think kind of kitschy kind of thing about like surreal serenity. Um, What's the monkey song? Pleasant Valley Sunday? Yeah. I feel like that's what it is. Um, and then all of a sudden, superimposed on the image is the cities of the world. And Jesus says, I will be with you always. And he's this cosmic figure. He's like over the entire world. And he's, 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 he's overdramatic, right? Black and white movies, right? Where they kind of maybe overact. And he's bidding people to come to himself. Well, that image is half right. But according to John, Jesus should be on the cross, drawing people to himself, not, you know, in this kind of glorified state. I mean, glorified state in, in terms of this, uh, um, I don't know, kind of precious moment perspective. Yeah, Jesus uh, doesn't get off the cross. He gets off the cross in John, but at the same time, his resurrection points people back to the cross. You, I mean, you got to go through. You got to go through the cross in order to get to the resurrection, and John's very clear on that. Yeah. I think that this 
And to me, the light coming down from above and the way you can see his back, right. he has to be above him. So that's got to be God that's above him shining the light. That's right. So this is, that's right. That's exactly right. So God's, so in the Gospel of John, you have a lot of light and darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. And I always quiz the children, how many candle, how many lights, I'm sorry, how many lights are on the altar? Seven. Six candles and? And Jesus equals seven. So, because he's the light of the world. All right, it's a little, little joke, but I like that. So, uh, yeah, so in, in the Gospel of John, you have light and darkness. Um, and, and so Jesus comes into the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Of course, so that light is not simply, so the Father shows his light on him. And in John 12, the Father responds to Jesus. And he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it. Um, I can tell you exactly. Uh, verse 28 and following. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd then stood, heard, thought it thundered. Others said an angel spoke, and Jesus said, The voice has come for your sake, not mine. Because, I mean, he doesn't need to be reminded. And John, he, he's pretty confident. Now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Um, so you have the light. God's going to glorify him and show his, uh, show himself. Hey, this is this is why we want everybody to know. So the Father's casting a light on the cross. And yeah, there's a lot of cool things in this uh, image. I mean, I, I think it's uh, it's great. I think um, that Jesus said, um, I had. That's right. So, uh, so Jesus is highlighting the. Now, the question is, though. The, well, actually, I, I think I. Yeah. So, in the Gospel of John, what is the glory of God according to the Gospel of John? And we're so uh, glory in John is Jesus's death, but at the same time, it's his love. So glory and death and glory and love go together. They're not separated. So when Krista talks about the glory from before the world, Jesus is, is talking about this loving relationship. Now, of course, in John, love is not sentimental. I mean, it's the antithesis of sentimentality. Right? Uh, love is dying on the cross. The sacrifice according to John. So, so this is, this, um, within the, before the world began, within the Trinity, and I think you get that from the book, that he, he highlights the, the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that is going on. And what's that relationship primarily? Love. It's a, it's a love relationship. But it's not a feeling, it's, it's an action. Okay. Uh, anything else about the painting? It's great. Um, yeah, what is that thing? She thought it was a thumb or something, whatever is about it above his head. Holding him up, bringing him down. It's crazy. I mean, I tell you what, artists, they're pretty smart people. Yeah, you got, you got some kind of image going on there. What in the world's that? Who knows? Okay. So, um, so all this is, is really great because in this crucifixion scene in the Gospel of John, the author says that when Jesus says it is finished, he is talking to who? The author, I don't know if you remember, 
he makes an explicit reference. Jesus is talking to the Father. Now, of course, he's not just talking to the Father. Who else is he talking to? Yeah, actually, everyone just said it. So, uh, the Father, he's talking to the people, primarily the disciples, probably, those who are there, so Mary, uh, Mary and John. And then, of course, us. Right? So, um, so in, the, in this image, you're going to have all these relationships being kind of brought together. The Heavenly Father, the disciples, and us. We're all kind of coming together in this moment. All right. All right, great. So, uh, Beth, what is all that stuff? It's, it could be any of that stuff. It's great. Um, okay, oh, so, yeah, so, uh, it. Oh, Holly. Um, can I go back to the Yeah, yeah, definitely. As, this is Dolly, right? Yes. Um, Salvador. Yes, right, surrealism, right? Is that right. what it, yeah? Right. So, just, this is interesting, putting those two together, as in, like, they're fishing, but he's been crucified above them, you know, like. Right. Like, he's been doing this, I don't know. The whole time. The whole time. That's right. This is part of who he is and where he's coming from, where he's going. That's right. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So in the Gospel of John, since Holly brought it up, we'll talk about it, because I, I love talking about this. Time. Time is, is a peculiar thing. Um, I think peculiar insofar as we have a tendency to think it's very scientific. One second happens, the other one keeps going, boom, boom, boom. But on another level, time is very elusive and hard to grasp, because... I think we all can agree that time flies by. You know, time drags on, time flies by, you're like, where is this all gone? Hey. So, um, Salvador Dali it plays on these kind of themes. And in the Gospel of John, you have Jesus, who's historically present, but at the same time has been around forever. And because he's been around forever, that has implications for his, his earthly ministry. And especially in the crucifixion. Jesus carries his own cross. Simon of Cyrene is not in the Gospel of John. Now, why is that? Because Jesus is the one. He's the one who says to Mary in John chapter 2, my hour hasn't come yet. He knows what's, what lies ahead. He has this eternal perspective. So Jesus has this eternal perspective, while at the same time, he proceeds in life just like us, one second at a time, one minute at a time. So it is a, so that in this painting, you get both of these happening where the crucifixion happens after uh, the Sea of Galilee, but at the same time, crucifixion happens uh, before the fishing, too, because we don't know when that fishing is, right? Because that could be the fishing from... Yeah, it was a resurrection. Or it could be both. Yeah, right. So, so we have these both these things happening. And so that's why in, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is, is this... I mean, he's very dignified. I mean, hey, I'm the good shepherd. Good shepherd lays down his life. No one can take it from him. I'm the good shepherd. I, you know, my sheep know who I am, and nothing's going to take them from me. Well, from the hand, from, from the Father's hand. So Jesus is very in kind of, he's, he's always the one who's kind of in control. And you might be saying, well, what happens in the, maybe you're not saying this, but I, I think of this. The trial, where Jesus seems to be put onto trial, 
Of course, though, Jesus is, is in control, right? So what is the declaration? Jesus is guilty. But what's his sentence? He's the king of the Jews. But of course, what is Jesus? The king of the Jews. Um, so he, he's, he, there's a, a lot of irony in John's crucifixion. His executioners, in fact, are doing what to him when they raise him up on the cross? Based on what we've already talked about. They're glorifying him. I think it's, isn't that great? I think it's hilarious. So, his, his, uh, so the, the, the people who are putting him to death think they're pulling one over on Jesus, but in fact, Jesus has uh, got the last word. And uh, there's, a, there's a guy, Joel, uh, Joel Marcus, great last name, um, <laughs> who says that Jesus mocks the mocking, like he, he mocks the mockery in the crucifixion scene. So they think, so the Jews, or the Roman soldiers think they're mocking him by putting a crown and a purple robe. In fact, what they're doing is, they're doing, they're dressing Jesus like who he is, a king. He is the king. And when he dies on the cross, he sits down uh, on, this is his throne. It's his enthronement. So it's like this great image of, but of course it's irony, right? Well, I wouldn't say they're trying to make him a martyr. They're just try- they're trying to get rid of his movement. But yes, he, they are. I mean, they, it's it's he's pulling one over on him. The thing is, though, is when he dies, what is he showing us? How much he loves us. So it's I mean, it's a, it's a great thing. Where when Jesus is put to death, they're trying to put away something, and Jesus all the time is manifesting more. They're trying to shut him up, but yet he's de- he's de- declaring more. It's great. All right. Yes. Well, in John, John is a peculiar gospel, Krista, because I mean he's flagged and everything. But how many times does he he cry out in John? Yeah. I mean, cry out insofar as uh, like this uh, crying out of pain and suffering. Doesn't. John is a peculiar thing. Now, I actually make a note in this because I think it's, it's wonderful. Because some people, it's hard to put these two images together. Matthew and Mark has Jesus crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's uh, suffering and babbling and he's, he can't carry the cross. So he has to get Simon Cyrene. And he's just, he's, he's, boy, it's very different. And John carries his own cross, he goes, he says, hey, I'm thirsty, because he, what does he want, what does he do when he says, I thirst? He's fulfilling scripture. So he knows what he has to do, so he has to do that, so in order to fulfill the scripture, and, and now that he's fulfilled, he knows it's all done, he says, okay, I'm done, it's finished, and then he gives up his spirit. It's not taken from him, he gives it up. So how can these two kind of Images have so Luke and John are kind of similar. Matthew and Mark are similar, but they're not. They don't kind of look the same to each other. These these pairs. Well, there's this great thing. Psalm 22. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Psalm 22:1 is "My God, My God, Why have You Forsaken Me?" So you have these cries of dereliction and 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 uh, complaint and invocation. And we never really got down to the bottom. How does Psalm 22 end? With the same sort of image of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? People are overtaking me, and why aren't you doing something? Yeah, it ends with praise and trust. And if anyone has it, if you could read the last verse, I guess verse 31. And proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn that he has wrought. Oh, what, that's what, what uh, he has wrought it. Yeah, no, that's the revised. Yeah, I was going to say that's the RSV. Uh, does anyone have like an ESV or NIV? Or actually, I, I would like to hear the King James Version. That he has done it. Done it. What is that? What does that echo? 
It is finished. So what I think I think what's happening in the Gospels, if you take Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John together, is you actually have a picture of a psalm of lament. Matthew and Mark mimic the, you know, these cries of, oh, why are you doing this, God? And why are you, why are you saving me? Why, why are you so far from me? And then John and Luke enter into these songs of praise. And at the end of verse, of verse 31, and he has done it. It is finished. Yeah, Harv. Also the beginning of that verse where his deliverance to a people yet unborn. So it's to everybody. That's exactly right. So that's where I think, so so Krista, uh, this is maybe just more of a, I don't know, nerdy thing to say, but yes, Jesus, you you have the suffering Jesus. But for a lot of us who suffer, it's great, it's great, uh, it's, it's great care that Jesus suffers with us. But at the same time, what kind of would, what do we want? Not to suffer, right? And Jesus says, okay, there will come a point in time where that will, in fact, be finished. Done. And you can guarantee, you can bank it. So what happens is that in John it gives a picture of hope for those who are suffering. And then at the same time, it also gives us a picture of how to endure. That doesn't necessarily... You have both. You can have both these images together of crying out to God saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Make it stop. And then at the same time, I know you will make it stop. So you have these great, these great pictures. So, uh, but in John, though, you don't really have, you don't have this Jesus crying out in forsakenness. But of course, the Bible is never, it's never read in a vacuum. You read it all together, these Gospels. Which I'm getting ahead of ourselves, because we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. But that's where we're getting at. Krista. Okay. Uh, could it be that John wrote um, uh, his uh, long, long later? Yeah, well, the theory goes is that John, in fact, did. So uh, now there's a couple theories where John is an early gospel writing, but most people believe that John was written later. You know, I don't know. I, I, I'm always, sus- I don't know. I don't know how well we can really believe the dating. Because... As with anything, I think everything is very dynamic in this early church. You have Jesus, first of all, well, not to get too much on a tangent, but yes, you definitely have the event itself, right? The crucifixion. And John, of course, observed it. So, I mean, it's, it's uh, yeah. So this, this thing, though, is, is that, yeah, so John is giving this picture, a fuller picture. So you have this harmony within it. At the same time, well, at the same time, it's kind of different pictures. Um, there was another question or hand raised. Yeah. I think um, all that he said was to show that he, his suffering was for us. It wasn't that he's not just suffering with us, he's, he suffered for us. And the gospel writers seem to want to bring that out. So, you know, That's right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and so to show that. Everything you said is saying in our place. Yeah, in fact, I, uh, I don't think I wrote that from the book, but the, chap, the, the author makes that huge point where it says, or maybe it's not, I can't remember. <laughs> Basically, if anything deviates from this one purpose, that his death, and, his death is for us, then, you know, just basically disregard it. And what I'm saying is that how the, each author fulfills that in a kind of a unique way. But you got to take them all together. Well, yeah, so Jesus is a very powerful, uh, he's a strong, strong man who can endure the sufferings for us. And when he suffers with us, that's how, we, that's how we're able to do that, because he's with us. 
I think it's at the end of the chapter. Uh, it's from Colossians. I didn't make Colossians 3. Our life is hidden with Christ. So when our life is hidden with Christ, we have all these images happening. The cries of forsakenness, but at the same time, the, the image of the good death, of the strong death. It's finished. I'm going to give up my spirit. Give up the ghost. Um, which actually, I think I, I asked this question. You know, can a Christian die this death like Jesus? Yeah, when a Christian dies, does it have the same purpose? To glorify God? Okay. I know, I know. This is tricking you. This is important for us to kind of think about. Yes, our death does not, you know, satisfy God's, you know, you know there's no atonement in our death. That's right. But at the same time, the characteristic of Jesus' death to show love and to glorify God should very well be part of our deaths. And in fact, the litany, we pray that in the litany. Now, I, I do recommend the old Anglican English versus the newer modern English. So the litany is, is we pray this, uh, well, you, you, should, you should pray it a lot. In fact, actually, the morning, the morning Lord's Supper, over the last several weeks, we've been praying petitions from the litany. Several weeks. The last week. It's, it seems a long, long time ago. Last week. A lot has happened. Because um, I think we've gotten to, yeah, I think we're halfway through. Okay. But in the beginning... You have, O Lord, have mercy, O Christ, have mercy, yada, yada, yada. And then you have your first petition from all sin, from all error, from all evil. Great. From the crafts and assaults of the devil. Okay. And then here it is. From sudden and evil death. This is very important for us. Why would they be praying against, I think we've talked about this, from sudden death. And why would they equate that with evil death? Carol. Oh, yeah. A good death? Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, well, okay, so you're going to get this. You should, yeah. The first time I said, what do you mean by a good death? Right. I didn't explain it. Oh, okay. Later on, it's talking about a good death is really your life. Leading up to your death. That's right. Being a witness. How you live is going to be exemplified in how you die. If, it, if you would have a sudden death, you would be robbed of the chance. Ooh, good job. Witness. That's right. Yeah, um, it's very, it's, yes, that's, there's a variety of ways you can say that. Uh, so these prayers came, well, yeah, Nancy. Oh, no, no, yeah, I mean, I, there's a variety of answers, so I, I just, um, I mean, in the Middle Ages, too, also, Yes. They thought that unless you um, kind of died in, a, in repentance, right? The priest, um, your soul was in this Okay. Right. The kings of France, they wanted to have a good. Um, they wanted to see ahead of time they were going to die, so they could renounce their mistresses and um, you know get right to their wives, kind of square things up. This is true. Yes, but for the average person, though, this is this prayer isn't just for the kings and queens. So Nancy, yes, you're right, but it's actually there's actually uh, more to it, and I think it's a little bit more applicable to most of our lives, um, since most of us aren't kings or queens. Um, the 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 idea is, yeah, re, live in repentance, but not just to the priest, and it wasn't primarily the priest actually. Okay, to repent to who? And who is around you? Your neighbor. Your... Who said it, Barb? Family. It's to make up with your loved ones. Because in those times in the Middle Ages when this prayer was, and, and to be honest, it's still true today. Don't disregard this because it was written a long time ago. It's to make up with your loved ones, your family. And I can tell you, this is really applicable. On both sides, 
Exactly. No, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yes. So I, this, is, this is kind of the sadness of our kind of modern mentality that we hope we, we die you know, painlessly quickly in our sleep. Because we ro- you rob, you used the word rob, right, Carol? I mean, I'm, I'm, hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth. But Carol did a very good job. You, you are t- you're, you're robbing yourself and your family from, from coming back together. Now, here's the thing, though. I mean, this is the sadness, of course, of, of our sin, right? Is that it doesn't always happen that way. In fact, the person who's dying might not want to make, make amends. You know, so I mean, so I'm giving this idealized picture. It doesn't always work that way. But for us who desire to follow in the footsteps of Christ and want to be our life want to be hidden in him, especially amongst our death, how can our how can our death actually glorify God and show the love of God? And it's it's primarily in in repentance and reconciliation. Because that's what Jesus is doing, right? In his crucifixion. <laughs> He's reconciling the world to himself. Uh, Psalm 22, right? Future generations. Uh, Marilyn. Marilyn first. Yeah. I just thought that, the, like the martyrs, how could you think of that as a good death? But it's because they're a witness. Right. To oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, uh, it's Stephen's death in Acts chapter seven or eight. It's got really long sermons, so I get the chapters mixed up. But um, when Luke writes Acts, what is his template? But Jesus's death, where Stephen says kind of the same thing, you know, forgive them for what they're doing. Um, there's also another story written by this Saint uh, Hegesippus, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, of James the Just, Saint James, the, the, the first pastor in Jerusalem. Yeah. There's James the Greater and James the Lesser. Anyways, he's a guy with hairy knees, camel knees, from praying all the time. But he... Uh, Again, they write the story of his death using Jesus' death as a template to mimic it. And you, and you have that uh, uh, St. Perpetua, Felicity, same thing. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you get a lot of fantastic tales. But, it, but uh, again, I think when they're telling the stories, we are, we're thinking, hey, are they recording you know, factual history? Sometimes they're telling they're telling they're telling truth, like a fantasy. But, but yeah, no, no. That's the thing, though, is that the point is that what does it draw us back to? Surely. Well, sometimes it's not up to the person. Yeah. I know that's, that's kind of hard to say, right? I know, but I think that's to protect the family from something, right? When they affect, it's not, that's, they affect, the family does not need to be protected by that. From that, I should say. Yeah, right. I, I think, and I understand what you're saying, Shirley, and, and you know, maybe that's the case for something. But in general, I would say no. Because I, I think your family wants to be by your loved ones who are dying. You know, I, I mean, if they don't, then maybe that's the sign, that's the, that's the very sign that there needs to be some reconciliation. Actually, uh, in the uh, combination of the dying, the last rites, which, you know, of course, in the chapter is one of the seven sacraments, Lutherans, we don't, we don't say it's a sacrament, but we do have it in our agendas. So we like to do it. Typically speaking, last rites starts with 
confession, private confession. I think uh, usually what the pastors like to say is, do you have anything to say before, you, before we do this? Do you have anything to get off your chest? Um, and it's, it's for that very reason. Because, and I, I think I might have told you the story about there was a there was a gentleman who had uh, he, I mean, he's he's been dead for several years, but um, his sibling was going to St. John, and as he was dying in the county home, sibling said, you know, can you cut pastors? Can you come and visit him? And we said no problem. And he had a lot of sins in his past, and he uh, he had divorced his first wife, left for Florida got married, kind of had a whole other life, but left his first wife and the kids basically in shambles with nothing. Well, lo and behold, guess who was on the floor above him in the county, county home? His first wife. And he wanted to die. I mean, he, he, wanted to, he wanted to make amends before he died. And he was, I mean, it was driven by guilt, shame. Uh, I mean, it was decades from his divorce. It wasn't like, you know, they were in their 50s. And they were, and they were young when they got divorced. And his children built up lives apart from him. Now, the thing was is that uh, his, the children did not want anything to do with him. And so he, he, went, he actually went and made amends with his wife. Uh, and then he attempted with his children... I think he had three, and only one would make amends. The other two basically said, go to hell. Now, the thing is, though, they came to the funeral. And I, you know, unwittingly was thinking that they maybe didn't make amends because they didn't think his fa- their father was really contrite. And so I'm, I wanted to say, hey, listen, I want to make sure you know that this man, he made a good confession. He, I mean, he lamented. He was, and the one son basically said, screw you. Now, the other one said, uh, I, I am a Christian, and I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but, but I can't. Like, he just, he couldn't. That was real hard. You know, because you think, hey, it's done and over with. That stuff's in the past. Let's get over it. Let's get beyond it. And so, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea what happened to that guy. But, um, you know, whether he eventually received his father's forgiveness, I mean, uh, extended his father's forgiveness, received his father's confession, I'm not sure. But I hope he did. Yes, no, right, exactly. So that, that's the thing. This is the great thing about the story. That's exactly right. So, so one of the things is that the reality of, of this whole situation, thankfully, is that the father said, I was sorry. So they, hopefully at some time, they can say, I forgive you. Oh, goodness gracious, absolutely. It makes complete sense, right. But, um, but to never have that opportunity, right, it's, it's hard to live with. But of course, that's why the death of Jesus is so comforting for us, is that even that burden can be bared by Christ and taken to the cross at any time. And reconciliation can, can happen, albeit uh, kind of more theologically, not necessarily practically, right, because the person's dead. I mean, they can't talk back to you. So... Wow, okay, that's, uh, so I think about Christ and his death and uh, that little phrase from the litany all the time. It's because today is the most important day to make amends, if you can. So, all right, any other questions or things? Uh, Again, once again, I never, we never go in order. (laughs) Jesus' work is unilateral. Pure gift. That was real nice to read about in the chapter. Oh, the friendship of Jesus. I don't know, we don't really have too much time, but um, 
That was nice. John 15. comes from John 15. And also, if you know the Your Jungle Book, the, uh, when uh, Babu... Hello, hello, Diego. You're in women's Bible study. Wait, is it God? Mary, Mary, is God calling us? <laughs> that was funny. Oh my, he's still calling. Hey, don't hang up on God if it's, if it's the voice of God. Oh man, okay. Uh, John fifteen, friendship of Jesus. Uh, the friendship of Jesus. Jesus says, "I'm sharing all these things with you uh, as friends." But friendship in these ancient times is the uh, the epitome of oh, there's three loves, right? Uh, in Greek, agape, philo, eros. Agape is this divine love. Philo is this brotherly love, or or sisterly love, this family love, and then Eros is kind of this passionate uh, physical love. And so what Jesus is saying is we are friends, we are philo with one another. This is the ultimate bond between uh, Jesus and his disciples. He takes his love, it's this intimacy, um, Jesus is the one who loves fully. John 13.1 loves them to the end. So this French, actually this friendship with Jesus is very important for us in today's kind of modern culture where we get our loves all mixed up. Where, you know, men and women don't quite understand love. Men and men don't understand love. Women and women don't understand love. And oftentimes you have friendships that turn sexual, right? You have philos where it should be, I mean, you have eros where it should be philos. And things get all turned upside down. Um, so this friendship of Jesus is this, this ultimate love with one another. The love that, what, is willing to sacrifice. Greater, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life. That's all from John 15. I think 15, 1 through, I don't know, 20 something or another. Um, okay, that, so that was, we didn't, we're not going to talk about that because we don't have time. Um, oh, and then the uh, form of the life of the church. Now, of course, the, the author talks about the, the sacraments, which is absolutely true. We might disagree on the, what, you know, what the numbering is, but the basic premise is the sacraments are the, the, that gives the form to the life of the church. And I, in that little outline, I, um, well, I quote from page 68, and then baptism. So confirmation is not a sacrament in the Lutheran Church, but confirmation is what? It falls under baptism. It's, it's a, yeah, it's an extension of the baptism where uh, it, the book says, and I, this is kind of the basic Roman doctrine, confirmation is kind of the completion of your baptism, we say confirmation is kind of a re-entering or a remembering of one's baptism. So you have your, the blessing that you received at the baptism is the same one as you get at your confirmation. Um, confession, ordination. So some Lutherans believe ordination is a, is a sacrament, but typically they don't. But of course, confession is a, is a sacrament. Ordination and confession go together. Eucharist and extreme unction or last rites go together. And then we have this marriage. Marriage is kind of the odd one out. I mean, as far as the, you know, kind of the, the past. Uh, so, but marriage is the ultimate picture between Christ and the church. It's kind of the icon. But at the same time, those who are married have, this is all supposed to be one big, I'm cruising through this, the friendship of Jesus, Right? So you have marriage as another picture of God's love, right? The agape that's shared between men and women. But friendship also cha- shares this philos of Christ with one another. 
So you have these kind of two images going on of, of love and fulfillment in that love, but they are, they're different. Does that make sense? I don't know. I'm cruising through that. But, um, okay. Talk about that some other time or whatever. Donna, and then we, then we should pray. In our small, in our small catechism, the definition for sacrament is that it has visible means for the well, it has the mandate, the promise, or the promise, yeah. In a sense, people do consider marriage in the sense that there is visible means. Right, yeah. So this, again, that's all, this is, uh, to, on a, I don't want to treat it lightly, but on a certain level, it is semantics. So, uh, so the church has always said, hey, here's a sacrament, and then we're, we're going to put things into it. During the Reformation, we said, let's not have the definition of the sacrament run authority over these things. Let's treat these things according to Christ's word or the mandate. So you have, I mean, so that's why, you know, Lutherans don't get rid of marriage or things like that because it's in, it's in it's a scripture. Um, Lutherans just don't like calling, we, do, we don't, uh, we like things as they are rather than having this definition of sacrament and then having things in it. So the thing is authority, has authority, rather than the definition has the authority. So, uh, yes, so you could have a lot of things that are sacraments if you want to play fast and loose with the definition. Yeah, the mandate. Christ carries the promise with it that, that this do this and... Where Jesus says, you know, doesn't say, you must be married. Okay, anyways, we got to go. Hopefully everyone enjoys the weather. I can't wait for Monday to come. <laughs> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.